0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manbreed, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. And your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over UFC Vegas 21, headlined by Leon Edwards. The return of Leon Edwards, who hasn't competed since July of 2019 when he took home a decision victory over Rafael Dos He fights short-notice Bilal Mohammed, who's coming in a a quick turnaround. A month ago, he just beat Diego Lima. But unfortunately, Hamzat Shumayev pulls out, and we get Bilal Mohammed stepping in to keep Leon Edwards active. Now, I'm very excited to break break down this fight for you guys, as you guys will hear me later on in the card. But I'm just glad to get a high-level fighter like Leon Edwards back into the cage. The guy deserves one of those higher-level fights, and that's what they've been trying to get him. And not to mention, if he went out there and beat Woodley, like he was scheduled to do uh, back in March of last year, probably would have been fighting for a title uh late last year but here we are ton of bad luck for uh Leon Edwards in terms of getting back into the cage but I'm very much looking forward to seeing him compete and this is a good step for him to go in there and fight a guy like Bilal Mohamed who's on a bit of a run himself four straight wins uh not to mention that uh you know amazing performance he had against Diego Lima back in uh February 13th but a ton of great fights on this card here. I mean, it's littered with some solid uh, spots. Misha Serkinov versus uh, Ryan Spann. Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. A uh, ton, a ton of fun fights. Very much looking forward to breaking it down for you guys and talking about it from a betting perspective. Uh, before we do that, make sure we always go over to our betting recap, something that a lot of people completely neglect in their podcasts and that is just not something that you should be doing especially if you want to remain transparent and if you want to be well respected within the community make sure you guys go over your last bits just saying all right let's get into uh the plays here i only had two plays and we're going back to that old school lock of the night format just like i told you guys last week we're going one lock of the night play one dog of the night play slow and steady wins the race and that's exactly what we're doing So, Lock of the Night play comes through, four units on Sean Brady, minus 196, great line, happy to get that line, Uh, and and he went out there and did what he did, you know what I mean, I I believe there was just one small part where we had, had a hiccup in that first round, where Jake Matthews landed a good shot, it ended up being a trip that eventually got Sean Brady on the ground, but Brady did a good job in terms of recovering and controlling the rest of that round, and then eventually getting the submission in round three, Kid is super talented. Can't wait to see how they continue to build him up. But this Jake Matthews win is a big one for him and a big one for us as well to get uh, our lock of the night plays back on track. Uh, and then we had a dog of the night play, which kind of fell out on his face. Minus 1.5 units on Joseph Benavides at plus 112. The, the you know. Not much to say here. I, I will admit when I'm wrong, I was wrong here. Askarov is much better than I expect him to, to be. Uh, I know the kid's talented, you know what I mean? But I just didn't expect him to go out there and beat Benavidez the way that he did. And that just happens sometimes, you know what I mean? We we predict 12 fights a week, sometimes 15 fights a week. We're going to get some wrong. Just saying. I thought Benavidez still had the chops to go out there and beat the scr- scrambled king. Unfortunately, he just wasn't able to. And Askarov gets the W that night. It is what it is. We end up losing that one, but we still end up 0. 0.54 units up on the night. All that matters to me is that we're hitting the lock of the night plays and that's what's going to matter to me moving forward. That's my main focus. You guys come to me for a lock of the night play. I give you a lock of the night play and we're going to continue to hit them at heavy, at a heavy clip. I mean, if you guys go over to my BetMMA tips that I like to keep updated on an event-to-event basis that everybody should be doing, uh, you guys see that my big favorites, which is minus 180 and worse, uh, I'm hitting at an 81% clip for a 15% ROI. And that's what I should be focusing on. that's what we're going to be focused on on moving forward for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, the highest I'll go is minus 350. I'll never try to pass minus 350 unless there's Absolutely nothing left on the card that I don't trust my money on, and there are two spots that I trust my money on this this weekend. But I ended up going with one of them, and you guys will figure it out once we get into the actual breakdown. So again, plus 0.54 units on the night. Happy to get that small win, but we uh, are even happier to get the lock on the night playing because that's what you guys come to me for, and that's what you rely on me for. So that's what I'm hoping to continue to provide for you guys. All right, a couple plugs before we get into the breakdowns. Make sure you guys check out Cool Bet. That's um, coolbat.com use the promo code mma 2 that's the number two uh and they will match your initial deposit all the way up to 200 bucks 100 uh, percent, they'll match it up to 100 uh, 200 bucks so make sure you guys check that out they have great odds it's mainly available in canada and a bunch of scandinavian countries i have all the details in the description below so make sure you guys check that out um again great props you can parlay props great odds as well too that's where i managed to snag um uh, there's, a, there's a line within the last couple of weeks where I was just like, I'm very surprised that I was able, uh, that I was able to get it um, on this website, that line. I believe it was the Alexis Davis line at plus 173. That was a very, very solid line that I was able to snag there. Uh, even Jared Gordon plus 120, I managed to get on there as well. So yeah, check out CoolBet. Secondly, check out the Patreon. Five bucks a month. You guys get early access to the breakdowns. You guys get early access to the picks. Obviously, the picks usually drop for free on Fridays unless I'm on a three event winning streak and i have expect three event winning streak to be right around the corner so make sure you guys get a jump start on that stuff uh we got a great discord community as well too those guys are freaking amazing i love chatting it up with them on a on a daily and regular basis just breaking fights down and talking shit and then the best bets and props article i'm adding a live betting aspect to that as well to help you guys be prepared for you know just live betting a fight you know you want to make sure you have your ducks in a row before the fight actually starts so then when shit starts to fly you know you'll you know that you're prepared and ready to go and pull the trigger where you need uh to pull the trigger so that's what we have there and not to mention me adding my confidence ratings on my best bets and props as well so that you guys know uh which props and bets that i'm the most confident in and which ones i'm not so confident in a lot of people are digging that aspect so many other perks five bucks a month best uh deal on the market i'd say uh and you're getting some solid quality out of as well so make sure you guys check out the patreon link is in the description below uh What is, there is one more thing that I want to touch on, and that is, uh, I've let a couple people know already, uh, March 26th is going to be the last day that your boy's going to be reporting to a 9 to 5, your boy's doing this shit full time, and it's all thanks to you guys. So I want to give a big shout out to all the subscribers, all the people that like, all the people that follow me on Twitter, all the Patreon members, it's all thanks to you guys that I'm able to finally do this thing on a full time basis, and I can't wait to do it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be adding ACA, I'm going to be adding LFA, I'm going to be adding Bellator, you guys are going to get a ton more content out of me, and it's going to be my 100% full focus, and I'm doing it the right way, and uh, you know, that's what matters to me at the end of the day, 100% transparent, 100%, uh, you know, morality, everything uh, taken into consideration, I'm I'm here for you guys, and, and giving you guys the best reads that I can possibly give on a fight-to-fight, fight and an event-to-event event basis, and again, it's a dream come true, I didn't truly believe, you know, three or four years ago, when I started this damn thing, that I'd actually be able to do it, but here I am, two weeks away from doing this thing full-time, and again, it's thanks to you guys, so shout out to you guys for allowing me to do that, all right, let's get away with the sappy shit, let's get into the breakdowns, I hope you guys enjoy them, again, like and subscribe the video if you haven't already, and if you guys want to support your boy a little bit more, the Patreon link is in the link below, five bucks a month, Best way to support your boy and continue this journey on to uh, giving you guys the best breakdowns possible on a week-to-week basis. All right, good luck on your bets and enjoy the breakdowns. Jason Witt versus Matthew Semisberger. We got minus 120 on the Semi-Jedi, I believe his nickname is, or Semi the Jedi, and uh, plus 100 on Jason Witt. If you do look at a couple other uh, bookies, you will see probably a better line on Jason Witt as well, but plus 100 is roughly the line that is widely available um let's start off on the jason witt side right this is going to be his second fight in the ufc with the legitimate uh training camp his first fight was against nakashi sato where he came in on super short notice uh and lost that fight within a minute uh but then came back and looked amazing in his fight against cole williams taking him down pretty much at will and then eventually submitting him in the second round so saw a great performance from him there and sh- showed off what he truly is about as a full mma uh fighter and not just a guy that got knocked out in less than a minute by Takashi Sato. Samuelsberger, on the other hand, had a little bit of an abbreviated training camp against Carlton Minus. Both of who I believe, you know, both fight, both fighters accepted that fight on somewhat short notice just to fill out a card. And we saw a great performance from Samuelsberger that night, being able to keep the fight at distance uh, and just you know being more, uh, having more volume and having more damage on his strikes as well compared to you know Carlton Minus, who just doesn't really have the greatest pop on his shots. Had decent volume from what at least we saw on his regional tape, but when he actually got into the cage, he was having a lot of time, uh, or a lot of struggles against a guy in Samuelsberger who just hit way harder and, uh, you know, was much more active and much more, uh, you know, showing a lot better movement as well, too. Now, the, the the knock on Summersberger from my end is more so his takedown defense. It doesn't look the greatest on the regional scene. And for him, the regional scene was really not that long ago. Like, this is only his second fight in the UFC, but you're seeing him in past fights getting taken down and controlled. And I feel like, uh you know, Jason Witt will be the best wrestler slash best jiu-jitsu player that he's gone up against up until this point. And I think it's going to truly cause him some problems. I like to make the comparison here with Samuelsberger and Danny Chavez from a couple weeks ago, where they had a great debut, but you have to kind of look at their opponent and the lack of resistance that they brought to the table uh, compared to how good they actually looked. Now, I don't want to you know completely share on Samuelsberger here. He looked great in that debut, and he did what he should have done against a guy like Carlton Minus. But now you're going up in the level of competition And Jason Witt, you know, maybe not a top 15 Top 10 guy at this point in time But def- definitely levels above What Carlton Minus was bringing to the table In Matthew's debut in the UFC But Jason Witt, he's going to bring a completely different game He will be outsized, you know, by 3 inches on, In the height, and as well as uh, 5 inches on the reach But that reach and height and size disadvantage Doesn't really matter once this fight Is actually taking place on the ground or in the clinch position Which is where I think that Jason Witt will be Successful in getting in the get, getting this fight there uh i think he's uh you know he, he's hunting for this submission quite often uh eight of his 18 victories have come via submission so i think he's going to be you know taking down someone's bigger time and time again and seeking that submission maybe an arm triangle choke is probably his favorite path to victory i think he has more rear naked chokes than anything uh but i feel like in this matchup particularly he will have success with that arm triangle choke he is another guy out of glory MMA um, with uh, James Krause heading his training camp. So that's always a positive to have. Uh, and then Samuelsberger is coming out of, uh, I believe, Maryland. Um, and, you know, not not the biggest gym or any crazy training partners there. But up until this point, it's worked out for him. He's 7-2. Now, speaking of 7-2, this is only going to be his 10th pro MMA fight. Whereas Jason White, this is going to be his 25th. So you're talking about two and a half times the amount of experience that Samuelsberger has. Two and a half times the amount of Uh, You know, times going into the cage and fighting all these different types of guys uh, compared to Selmersberger, who hasn't fought, in my opinion, anybody to the level of a Jason Witt at this point, Uh, especially with the wrestling and grappling prowess that he brings to the table. So with the poorest takedown defense from Selmersberger's side, I feel like it's going to be difficult for Matthew to keep this fight on the feet and really implement his strength, which is the striking. I do think that Matt will have the advantage in the striking realm here. I do think he'll be able to kind of piece up Jason Witt for as long as it stays up on the feet. And I think he has a good potential or a good chance of potentially knocking out Jason Witt as well. But... I think this is where it gets to the point where Jason Wood closes the distance very uh you know with the with good discipline, good fight IQ, uh small cage again another one that another advantage that favors uh the the grappler and I think we'll see Jason Wood use it to its fullest extent. Close the distance, uh maybe eat a couple shots on the wind, that's definitely going to happen, but I don't think that uh, burger would do the greatest in terms of being able to shuck off the the takedowns here, so uh, I see Jason Witt getting this fight down time and time again, maybe a submission, maybe a decision, but I think that this is, uh, again, a grappler versus striker type matchup, and more often than not, I fa- uh, I, I, f- I, I follow where I tail the, the grappler here, and uh, I do like what I see from Jason Witt. Jason is one of the two favorites that I truly, are. Two underdogs that I really like on this card, and it was kind of difficult trying to pick between the two. But uh, I ended up going with the other dog as an official bet. But if I were to make one more official bet for a dog, Jason Witt would be that guy. So I like Jason Witt here. I think he gets the takedowns, and I think he finds a submission as well. So I'll go with Jason Witt to win this fight via second round submission. Jin Yu Fry versus Gloria De Paula. We got minus one ninety on the UFC newcomer Gloria De Paula, and plus one sixty five on Jin Yu Fry. Let's start off on the Fry side who's uh, coming off of two straight losses now to Kay Handsome where she got submitted and I believe that happened in the third round and then she lost a decision to Luma Lokponi who you know easily won those first two rounds off of her tie clinch and striking and and absolutely beating up Jinyu Fry and those close quarter exchanges and then we see Jinyu Fry go out there and land a beautiful takedown right off the bat in that third round but unfortunately was not able to keep the fight there for the majority of that round. Fight gets back to his feet and we see uh, Loma once again have success in the stand-up, have success in the clinch, and Fry just could not get any of her game off. Now we're starting to see the, the, the regression of Jin Yu Fry. She's 35 years old. Um, you know, she was the former Adam Weight champion over there in Invicta, and since coming to the UFC, she's been forced to go up a weight class, and it just has not worked out for her. And, you know, I, I think that her best days are truly behind her. One thing that she will still have, though, is her strength and her ability to possibly grind out decisions and grind out wins if her opponents aren't able to get out of those situations. Like with Kay Hansen, she was going up against a superior uh, Jiu Jitsu player. With Loma Lukbomi, she was going up against a superior Muay Thai fighter, especially in that clinch position. But what is she going up here against with Gloria DePaulo, who's only seven fights into her MMA career, five and two, and she's shown to be, uh, you know, you can go out there and grind her out um but when you're at distance she looks like a killer she has all the technical capabilities you know she's going out there and showing off great muay thai great uh distance striking great kicks uh and she looks like a very polished product but the fights that really stick out to me are fights against ariani carnalosi and uh, isabella du padua both girls that are in the ufc right now uh but not really at the higher level or even at the mid level to be honest like Isabella de Padua, if you guys remember, she was the one that stepped in on super short notice uh, against Ariani Lipsky and made Ariani Lipsky look, you know, much better than she's ever looked before. Uh, and de, pa- de Padua was able to do a good job in terms of continuously moving forward, pushing de Paulo up against the cage, dragging her to the ground, and getting a bunch of uh, c- control time as well from the top position fry could absolutely do that you know i mean i think fry could push her up against the cage make it a dirty fight you know drag it to the ground show that takedown that she did against loma in that third round um and possibly you know you know just win the self of control time however i just think that she is starting to regress i think that we're seeing the paula kind of come into her own do i agree with her being up there at minus 190 probably not like i'm picking her to win don't get me wrong but i just think that um we need to see a little bit more from her before i can invest in her like early thoughts were her as a possible lock in the night play but i always think back to what my guy Scott Shalvok always says is that think macro not micro and f- for right now we only have a micro uh sample size of uh the de- the de- Paula you know i mean she looked great on the contender series she won three rounds uh you know stuffed a couple of takedowns even when she got taken down we saw a decent offensive guard but that's just against a girl that was 3 and 0 or 4 and 0 at the time you know, Ginyu Fry has been around for a while now. She has 15 fights on her record, but she's been fighting all these different types of women, all these different types of styles. And obviously, age isn't on her side at this point in time. But if she's able to go out there and make this a grimy fight, put you know, don't give DePaula the 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 room that she needs to operate. Then you know, the, the people with that minus 190, minus 200 in DePaula are going to be you know itching their head a little bit. Like even uh, Fry was given a little bit of trouble to Kay Hansen in that first round. And I know that Kay, you know. Again, more of a jiu-jitsu player than a striker, and that's where Fry was getting the better of the exchanges was in the striking realm. So I do expect Apollo to get the better in the striking realm here, but uh, once it gets wrapped up and, and these women are like, you know, trying to clench up with each other, I feel like the strength of Fry will start to show itself. But... I just don't have the most confident confidence out there to go out there and lay the money on her. With that said, I'm not going to be going out there and laying big money on DePaula as well because this, in my opinion, this is a great test for her. Go out there, showcase that you can go up against a fighter that's going to be physically stronger than you. Uh, you know, show off that you can, you know, shock off some takedowns, uh, maintain your distance, and get your striking going. She's going to be up against it, especially in the smaller cage too. So if Fry is able to kind of you know push her back a little bit with some feints or a couple of striking exchanges. She can just bone rush forward and start pushing to Paulo up against the cage and making it a grimy, dirty fight, and that's what would um, you know really allow Jinyu Fry to find some success in this fight. So experience, no matter, no doubt about it, it's obviously on the Fry side. Strength on the Fry side. Um, grappling could be on the fry side as well, too. Uh, but to Paula, you know, solid jujitsu, at least from what I've seen thus far. I just didn't like what I saw from the De Padua fight which was like just less than two years ago and it was only three fights ago for her. So it's not like we haven't seen the chinks in her armor. And Fry absolutely has the capabilities to make this a tougher fight than it should be. But I do like the 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 striking mechanics and uh, the the you know, the tendencies that we've been seeing from DePaula in terms of maintaining her distance, getting her work done in the clinch as well too. She has some pretty good knees from there. I don't really rate her second last opponent, even though she, even though she was undefeated going into that fight. I think she was only three and zero or four and zero at the time. But the girl was completely outsized against DePaula, and she was very much struggling to try to get this fight to the ground. And DePadua was obviously outsized as well, but she was able to get the fight to the ground. Uh, but Fry, I gotta believe, is the strongest fighter that DePaula has fought to this point. So that gives me a little bit of concern. So I will still lean the Butt Paula side. I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant on it than most people seen and seem during this fight week, uh, but I do think she will be able to keep it at distance, get her strikes off. If it does end up in the clinch positions, get a couple knees off and then break and then start doing your work again from distance. Um... And yeah, I think she pulls off a, a decision victory here, but it's gonna be much closer than people think. I don't have the utmost confidence out there to go actually pick and bet Ginny Fry, but I think people need to be uh, skeptical about like just you know gunslinging uh, DePaula uh, parlays here because I think it will get a little bit sketchy if Fry is able to you know close the distance and use her strength to her advantage. I think she has decent cardio as well too, so that should help her in this situation. Uh, but again, DePaula. Still young, twenty five years old, has a ton of time to grow. She just needs a lot more experience, and if we're able to get that out of her, I think uh, she can tr- turn into a pretty bright prospect in this hundred and fifteen pound division, and maybe start to run uh, things for the women's divisions with her a significant other, who I believe is Myra Bueno Silva. But yeah, I do like De Paula here. I think she wins by decision, but this fight's going to play out uh, a little bit closer than most people are expecting it to. J.J. Aldrich versus Courtney Casey. We got minus 150 on J.J. Aldrich and plus 130 on Courtney Casey. Let's start off on the J.J. Aldridge side of things, who we haven't seen since UFC 246, I believe it was, but back in January of 2020, where she lost a very close split decision to Sabina Mazzo. Now, if you go to MMA decisions, you see over 70% of the fan votes came in on Aldrich thinking that she won rounds one and two, and obviously round three to Sabina Mazzo, who had great uh, you know, Muay Thai clinch control, good control up against the cage, and did a ton of damage against uh, Aldridge especially with their knees in that round. But the first two rounds, we see a, a great game plan from Aldrich which is just continuously moving forward and then picking her shots to throw that one-two down the middle. Her southpaw stance really causes some issues for her opponents, but the thing that is the best about her is her uh, commitment to her combinations. Like sometimes you'll only get two or three strike combinations out of her, but you're getting very impactful ones that actually show the damage on uh, her opponent's faces, just as we saw from Sabina Mazzo after two rounds with going with uh, JJ Aldrich and trying to stand in the pocket and exchange with her. Um, Aldrich does a good job of with her footwork and her movement and again her southpaw stance really causes issues for opponents especially if they're not the greatest in the uh, in the striking realm. Now Sabina Mazo again she did a good job in that third round to take the fight back and I think that there was a judge that you know probably shouldn't have or at least two of them uh, that, that were a little bit skeptical regarding that second round. It seemed like um, Aldrich definitely had that in the bag especially with the amount of damage that she was able to in, uh, incur on one Sabina Maslow that night the fight before that we saw the Lauren Mueller fight I thought it was 1-1 going into that third round and that's where we saw JJ really start to turn it up land some big shots on Mueller starting off that round and really set the set the tone for the rest of that round and she was able to cruise to a decision victory in that and that was the night that I actually had her as a lock in the night play at the same price tag that she's currently at here against Courtney Casey and I was hella confident in it and thankfully it came through that night uh, before that, goes in against Macy Barber and steals that first round. Again, commitment to her combinations and her strikes. It pays dividends in that first round against Macy Barber. Uh, drops her on her butt, I think, twice. But unfortunately for her, she just was not able to uh, deal with the power that Macy Barber has in that second round. And Macy Barber is probably one of the hardest hitters in, in that division as well. So not the worst thing in the in the world for J.J. Aldridge to kind of succumb to that type of power. She's definitely not going up against that type of power here against Courtney Casey. Uh, and then before that, she came through as a of than I played for me as uh, against uh, Poliana Vienna, and I got her pretty much at openers. Uh, you know, this was a little bit earlier into my handicapping world, so the unit sizes weren't as bigger, but I caught, got her at plus 240, which I thought was absolutely insane, and I believe she closed around that plus 135, plus 140 range, and she still had a ton of value at that point. You know, Poliana really struggled to get the fight to the ground, and even when it got there, she just wasn't the most effective with JJ. You know, I believe at that time was a purple belt now she's a brown belt uh her, her submission defense was definitely on point and it helped out with her to secure the victory that night courtney casey on the other hand she's been flipping uh wins and losses over her last five fights she's 2-3 in her last five um you know the most notable win in that stretch was her angela hill fight where she actually beat uh hill uh via decision and it was quite a close fight you know we saw Angela Hill have uh, trouble in terms of dealing with the amount of output and some of the takedowns that uh, Casey was landing in that fight, but a very, very close fight. Again, that's just Angela Hill, uh, as you guys will hear later in this podcast about me breaking down her fight with Ashley Yoder. She just fights super close, and it was a super close fight against Courtney Casey, and Courtney Casey comes out with a W that night, uh, so a so good win for Casey there. The Cynthia Calvio fight is one that I like to lean on here, though, where she... You know, she's going to be dealing with a similar style with J.J. Aldridge. I think the difference between Calvio and Aldridge is that Calvio, I think, is a little bit more of an aggressive grappler and better jujitsu player, uh, and she moves a little bit better than J.J. Aldridge, or at least moves more than J.J. Aldridge. Maybe not better, but just more than her. But that, that fight primarily took place in the stand-up realm. And we saw uh, Cynthia Calvillo have a ton of success. Um, I, I believe she uh, took all three rounds on judges' scorecards. She outstruck Courtney Casey by nine strikes in the significant strike uh, realm. Uh, and, and she had a ton of success with her one-two down the middle. And uh, I think that's the same thing that we're going to see JJ Aldrich have success with here as well, too. Uh, it's going to be tough for Courtney Casey to deal with that uh, those combinations that are coming her way more often than not you see Casey throwing winging hooks and and more winging shots rather than you know straight down the middle she does have a decent jab especially when she's able to implement that 67 inch reach that she has but she's gonna have a you know she won't have a reach advantage here I think the reach is pretty much the same and she has a two inch height advantage but Cynthia Calvillo you know she had a three inch height advantage over Calvillo and still was struggling to get away from the big shots of Calvillo and especially her combinations now JJ Aldrich will have a two inch height disadvantage here but I think her commitment to the strikes is going to make it a little bit more difficult for uh Casey to get her game going and really start to score it might even look similar to the Sabina Mazo fight where we see the output coming from Courtney Casey but the more damaging shots come from JJ Aldrich, and that's kind of what kind of um, you know holds me off of uh making a play on JJ Aldrich at big money like to be honest coming into this card I was thinking okay she could be live as a potential lock than I play and even though she's minus 150 I like uh, I think there's solid value on her given the, the the game plan that she normally brings into her fights but you know I, I found somebody else on this card that I'm a lot more confident in feel like they won't have as close of a fight as this fight could potentially be Uh, But I still think that she has a high upside of winning this fight. And even her prop bet at plus 100, I think is a very sneaky play as, you know, most of her victories have come via decision. And I do think that we'll see that uh, come to fruition once again for uh, J.J. Aldrich. The last two fights are hard to really depict what we can, uh, you know, extract uh, for Corny Casey in terms of her fights with Mara Romero-Barella and Jillian Robinson, which were mainly, you know, clinch fights, grappling fights. I don't expect that kind of uh, approach here from Aldrich, who again is a brown belt so if it does hit the ground I think she'll hold her own there uh, and the takedown defense on Courtney Casey is just porous she's given out takedowns pretty much every single fight she's going in there even the Jillian Robertson fight right she gives up three takedowns gives up a takedown to Mara Romero Barella gives up three takedowns to Michelle Watterson four takedowns to Jessica Aguilar six takedowns against Claudia Gedelia but obviously that makes that one makes sense. Um, so if, if JJ wants to attack that maybe she could have some success there and make it not as close of a fight but that's not really the style that we've been seeing from Aldrich. it's her confidence in her hands confidence in her boxing uh, and ability to move forward and and land the more damaging strikes and I think that's what we're going to see here from JJ so uh, I think she's a great spot here minus 150 is not too bad of a price tag and I think you know Seven or eight out of t- ten times, she outstrikes Courtney Casey, at least to the extent of landing the more damaging blows. Now, what kind of judges are we going to be getting that night, right? Are they going to be uh, counting the volume for Casey but I feel like the damage of uh, JJ will be way more apparent than the volume that we're going to be seeing from Casey and Casey you know she whiffs that air quite a lot especially in that Cynthia Calvio fight we see Calvio get out of the way of these big shots and JJ does uh, move her head well and pivots off the center line quite well especially after throwing her combinations so I think we'll see Casey struggle in that uh, aspect as well so I'm going JJ Aldrich. I'm taking her to win this fight by decision. Uh, and yeah, I, I think she's a very solid spot uh, the, this night on this card. Uh, and once again, I'll take her to win this fight via decision. Nazar Hakpras versus Hafa Garcia. We got minus 380 on Hakpras and plus 315 on Hafa. Let's start off on the Hakpras side. Who's coming off an unfortunate weight miss when you're supposed to schedule or when you're scheduled to fight Armand and I believe that was supposed to be the UFC 257 card. He falls off that card uh, you know, takes a little bit of time off and now he's right back at it uh fighting a ufc newcomer here in hafa i believe Hackprast was supposed to fight don madge uh this weekend unfortunately madge pulls out that would have been a great fight I, I was really looking forward to that one but now he gets um somewhat of a layup here in hafa garcia uh, last time we saw uh, nazra he uh, went out there and uh, won a decision victory over alex munoz that's quickly after he had gotten knocked out by drew dober so i'm sure he just wanted to get that bad taste out of his mouth and uh, he did just that you know gets in there against munoz gets the victory and gets back on the winning track he's still only 25 years old which is crazy to believe but the kid has a ton of potential and a ton of time to truly flesh out into being a complete mixed martial artist but what's his bread and butter it's a striking, right? He uses his distance very well. His one-two is sharp, quick, and uh, you know, very uh, fast down the middle, and it does definitely causes opponents a ton of trouble. He moves very well. His kicks are good as well, and I think that he'll definitely have Hafa beat in the striking room. Now, if we're talking about the wrestling realm I feel like um, if if Hafa uh, wants to get this fight to the ground, he's going to really struggle. Uh, Hackpress has shown solid uh, takedown defense throughout his UFC career, and I feel like that uh, a guy like Hafa who is struggling to get down guys from past opponents, especially on that combat day seen he's going to struggle in the ufc as well now at 12 and zero. he seems like he has a flashy record if you watch his instagram you see that he's training with guys like marlon chito vera and bj penn in there a couple times uh brian ortega i believe it's the rcva i might be completely off on this but i think that's the gym that he's uh, training out of which is jason Prolo's gym but uh you know at 12 and oh a couple ufc veterans under his belt the guy seems like he is ready to come to the ufc 26 years old still young in the game and uh But once you actually watch him fight, I think it's a little bit difficult to draw how he's truly going to win this fight unless Nazrat's chin is completely gone and we see him knock him out. But I'm a fan of Nazrat's ability to maintain distance, and I think that's where uh, Hafa will have trouble here. We're talking about Hafa having a 3-inch height disadvantage, and not to mention a 4-inch reach disadvantage. If uh, Nazrat's able to keep this fight on the outside and just pick him apart and possibly knock him out later, uh, I think he truly has the the ability to, to... nullify the striking that's coming back from uh Haffa. And is more of a guy that uses his hands, not much of a kicker. Likes to, you know, p- throw his jabs out there, uh but uh you know, has decent power as well, but I think that um his inability to find Nazrat's chin is going to be his downfall here and I think that Nazrat will be very live to potentially knock him out too. Again, the guy's 12 and 0. He hasn't been knocked out um or he hasn't even lost a fight, but this is another level of competition you're talking about going from Humberto Bandanai. To Nazrat hot press. It's just a completely different level. So I think the line is absolutely accurate. I wouldn't be surprised if it reaches minus 500 by fight time. But I do like Nazrat here. I think he wins this fight quite easily. And uh, I'll take him by KO. Probably second or third round. I think we see Nazrat go out there and absolutely nuke this guy. So I'm going with Nasrat via, uh, let's say, third round. KO. Hani Yaya versus Ray Rodriguez. We got minus 290 on the UFC veteran Hani Yaya. And plus 245 on the sophomore ray rodriguez let's start off on the Hanayaya side who we just don't get to see a lot of right the guy has fought i believe an accumulated uh 22 times in the wec and ufc era and uh you know he's 15 and 7 in that stretch but most of the guys that he's fighting or used to fight aren't even in the ufc anymore one of the statistics that i dropped out there for you guys or at least facts uh was that two of honey opponents have come against guys that are currently in the ufc um, Eddie, Eddie Wineland and Luke Sanders, and then two of his losses are against guys that are in the UFC, which is Ricky Simone and Joseph Benavides. The rest of those 18 guys are no longer in the UFC or are either retired at this point in time. So he's been around for a while now. Uh, he's 35 or sorry, 36 years old, will be 37 uh, down in September, but he still goes out there and shows decent, uh, you know, qualities. One thing that I think that is a lot or very much overlooked in his game is a striking and you know just off of memories, some people might just think oh it's absolute dog shit but it's really not that bad it's I've definitely seen worse from guys that are mainly jujitsu players like he has some pop on his shots he even rocked uh, Ricky Simone in two fights ago like he has decent pop on his shots that he can you know be somewhat passable on the feet until the fight finally hits the ground which is where he does his best work uh the majority of his runs obviously coming via submission and that's where he wants to get it done he has pretty tricky takedowns as well too from the body lock position where he's able to you know, either just muscle his opponents to the ground or uh, trip them with his leg, the inside trip, outside trip. We've seen both of those situations from him. He is very good with landing and securing takedowns too. In multiple fights, he's securing multiple takedowns. Obviously not able to secure one against Ricky Simone, but can you really, you know, blame the guy? Like, it's freaking Ricky Simone. Uh, He matches five, three full rounds with him, uh, you know, even rocking him at certain instances. Uh, And then the Enrique Barzola fight, he takes the first two rounds and then gets absolutely whooped in that third round. But Barzola is a very strong fighter himself too, with a very uh, solid top pressure game as well. Um, I think that's what a lot of people are overlooking going into this fight against Ray Rodriguez is that... You know when you see Yaya losing these later rounds or losing these later rounds to the point of getting tenated, he's fighting decent competition like a Barzola. A lot of people are sleeping on that guy, but he's quite good. Solid grappler, solid striking, very strong as well too. So that's something that people need to remember. Uh, but then when you see him fighting guys like the Henry Briones, the Russell Doans, and Luke Sanders, you see him able to get the fight to the ground and pull off his submissions. And, and that's just the way that it rolls for for Haya for Yaya. You know, minus 230 against Briones, minus 220 against Russell Doan, 105 against Luke Sanders and pulls off the victory there, minus 115 against Ricky Simone two fights ago you know what i mean uh and then obviously in the barzola fight comes in as a heavy underdog wins those first two rounds with his grappling and his pace and then obviously shows a little bit of his cardio issues later in that fight i believe out of all the decisions that he's been in from the WEC and the ufc days he's only in one fight won the third round and i think only a couple fights where he's actually taken a 10-8 in those rounds but again i don't think any of those guys are to the level of ray rodriguez and i mean that you know in a in a positive light for past uh, yaya opponents ray rodriguez ray rodriguez in my opinion is not the best uh fighter out there but i don't even know if he truly deserves to be in the ufc he got a shot on the contender Series, lost to tony gravely via finish goes out there and beats a guy that is 7 and 12 and then gets jumped right into the ufc uh super short notice and then loses within a minute to brian Kelleher, going right into his fatality move which is that guillotine choke uh, he is a black belt apparently but he's gotten submitted several times at this point um, notably by um, uh, Chris Gutierrez who's pretty much just a striker I'm, I'm surprised that you know okay I don't want to say just a striker you know Chris Gutierrez has a solid all-around game but he's mainly known for his ju- or for his striking and his Muay Thai and mostly his calf kicks yet we see uh, you know Gutierrez going out there and submitting a guy like this I think Yaya absolutely dust the floor with him. I don't see this fight even making it to the third round. I think Yaya has the takedowns to go out there and you know secure it against a guy like Ray. Ray doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. You know, in that fight against Andy Perez, the guy that was seven and twelve, um, he went into that fight as a minus ten fifty favorite, a huge favorite. Yet that fight plays out hella close, even though he finishes him in that third round. Not what you want to be seeing from a minus ten fifty favorite. And then, you know, justifiably so comes into the uh, Brian Kelleher fight as a plus 315 underdog. So people do understand that, you know, he's not at that level. Even here against Yaya, plus 245 dog. You know, I, even if it wasn't a submission victory from Kellerher last time, I still expected him to be a big dog here against Hani Yaya. Now, I don't think that he's going to be able to stuff the takedowns of Yaya. I think Hani will be able to get this fight to the ground. And I think he'll be able to pull off a submission relatively quickly. The spot that I wanted to make my lock of the night play was the uh, fight doesn't go to decision at minus 190. I highly doubt we see um, Ray Rodriguez pull off a knockout here in, what is that, 20, in 24 or 23 fights, he only has three knockout victories. um, And the only people to knock out Yaya in his career are Kid Yamamoto and Joseph Benavides. Even at this point in his career, like he's still going three rounds against guys like Ricky Simone and Enrique Barzola without getting finished. So yeah, his cardio may not be the greatest in the third round, but it doesn't drop off like this to the point where a guy like Ray Rodriguez should be able to beat him. I'd be very surprised if we saw Ray Rodriguez get a stoppage over Hani Yaya here. Um, but yeah, I think Haya, Yaya gets this fight to the ground relatively easily and pulls off submission pretty quickly as well too. I think his, um, let's see what is inside the distance line is currently at because that, that's something that I was looking at again. My lock of i play would have been the fight doesn't go to decision for this because instead of playing uh honey yaya minus 290 for fight doesn't go to the decision, you're getting uh minus 185, which is I think which I think is a great line. Uh, over under two and a half minus 155 under two and a half is great, but honey yaya to win by submission plus 110, not too shabby. Ha- yaya to win inside the distance plus 100 on a couple of spots. So I think that's a good spot as well, too. I think Yaya definitely wins this fight without much resistance. Um, you know, I don't think that Ray Rodriguez has the knockout power to put him out. Yaya has shown a great chin throughout his career. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to have him ultimately beat on the ground. He's going to get this fight there within the first minute or two of this fight and then pull off a submission victory. So I got Yaya, round one submission. Charles Jordan versus Marcelo. Rojo, uh, we got minus two fifty-five on the Canadian and plus two fifteen on the Argentinian. Let's start off on the Charles Dordain side of things, who's coming off a draw to one uh, Joshua Kulibao in a fight that you know, I, I'm surprised that one judge actually gave round one to Charles Jordan as we saw him on uh you know on skates in that first round with Kulibao landing a big shot and really hurting him there. Um, but we end up getting a draw on Charles, and I'm still not understanding the the confidence that people have embedding him at that minus two fifty-five range. Now, I'm a big fan of Charles, right? I've been following this kid since his amateur days uh, back in the day and uh, all the way through TKO and obviously coming into the UFC now. But I think that Duho Ho Choi fight... Was probably his kind of uh, kryptonite uh, in terms of like how it was bad for Alexander Hernandez to knock out Benio Darius. Now he's just being fed to the wolves, and you know he's going to start coming up uh, short. You know Andre Feely, much higher level of competition at that point in time. The Joshua Cooley bout fight—that's the level of competition we want to see Jordan going out there and competing against, and start to accrue that experience within the UFC to you know truly flourish into a proper star. You know, he was a minus 450 going into that Kulibao fight, and he didn't look like a minus 450 at all. Now he's coming into this fight at minus 255 against a fighter that has, what, six, seven more fights than him? Um, probably a tougher time on the regional scene as well than we saw Charles Jordan go up against in TKO. I mean, he lost that fight to TJ Laramie, who showed a great game plan in terms of continuously taking him down and grinding him out, just like one Desmond Green did as well. Uh, But uh, Rojo doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to be taking that approach. He seems like a guy that's out there for entertainment, right? We pretty much know this guy for having that T Rex uh, celebration that he had after knocking some guy out. And, uh it, you know, he's great. He seems entertaining. He throws with a ton of heat, throws spinning shit every now and then. But his main go to seems to be going out there and trying to knock you out. He has a decent ground game as well. But I think that Charles might have him beat him in that aspect. Uh, but I, th- I see this fight mainly playing out on the feet. And with that said, you know, there's the flashy style of Jordan and then the power coming from Rojo. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Rojo actually land a bomb in that first round and potentially take out Jordan. However, I'm going to go with Jordan here because I do think he will be able to maintain the distance, use his case to keep Rojo on the outside and really just get his game going that way. But it's too much to to, to shell out minus two fifty five on Charles Jordan. Like you're telling me that you're getting the same price on Leon Edwards. I'd much tr- rather trust Leon Edwards against Bilal Muhammad than Jordan against this UFC newcomer in Rojo. So Rojo could you know spring the upset. It's absolutely there. So I want to be uh, you know all. all privy to go out there and parlay Charles at minus 255 but uh, this should be a fun fight for as long as it lasts I'll go with Jordan to win this fight later probably second or third round submission I think that's definitely something up his uh, sleeve and you know Rojo in his last five um, fights he's been submitted twice most recently by John Castaneda who's in the UFC now doesn't really see much of a submission threat in the UFC more so of a, a guy that likes to throw his bungalows and knock people out so I think Charles will have the advantage there. And if he's smart, that's the place that he should get this fight. Try to nullify the power coming back his way from Rojo and then truly get his game going with his jiu-jitsu. So, hmm. Again, minus 255 on Charles is a little bit too much. I think there's a nice price tag on Charles to win via submission. If I'm not mistaken, it's in that plus 500 range. Let me see if I can just pull it up for you guys real quick while we're doing this breakdown. Jordan by submission is plus 550 not a bad line considering that uh that seemed to be the downfall of rojo in his past couple fights so i do like Jordan here not at the price tag but i will take him to win this fight by either second or third round submission Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. We got minus 300 and rising for Angela Hill, uh, and plus 240 for the Spider Monkey Ashley Yoder. Now, this is a rematch from a fight that happened in 2017 at the Ultimate Fighter 28 finale, I believe it was, but it was the night that Michael Johnson welcomed Justin gaethje to the UFC. Uh, and we got a spectacular fight between them. But Angela Hill came out ahead in that fight against Ashley Yoder, where she was able to, you know, keep the fight on the feet for the most part. Uh, uh, she did get taken down a couple times, but again, did spring up to defeat and did some good damage from, uh, from the striking realm, uh, especially with her kicks. And that definitely gave her the advantage and the victory that night. Um, in terms of recently, though, like, well, actually, that was, uh, I do want to touch on this. That was the second stint uh, for Angela Hill in the UFC. If you guys remember, she was on the Ultimate Fighter 20, uh, had a couple fights, went on a two-fight losing streak to Tisha Torres and Rose Namajunas, who was only four fights deep into her career at the time, gets cut from the UFC, goes down to an Invicta, uh, wins four fights, including capturing that Invicta title, and then comes back into the UFC, I believe on short notice, against Jessica Andrade, and she drops that fight. The next fight for her, was against Ashley Yoder. Now, since Angela Hill has been back in the UFC, her record is now six and seven, which is a little bit salty. Uh, but a lot of people will say that she probably deserved uh, the victories against Claudia Gadelia and Michelle Watterson, But Angela Hill has nobody but uh, to her but to blame but herself. And I you know, everybody can tell her that. She always fights close to her opponents. Uh, you know, she never really changes up her game much. Uh she always has volume, but her opponents are always able to land good shots in return, maybe more damaging shots, more uh shots that are more impactful in the judge's eyes, whereas Angela Hill just continues to do the same thing, right? She normally is the one kind of marching forward and, and and stalking her opponent and landing some good shots from the outside, but she still eats shots in return and it may look worse on the judges uh, in the judges' eyes than it does for other opponents. Now, in her last fight, she did have a main event against Michelle Watterson. They were taking that fight, or at least that main event slot on short notice since Alexander Rakic and... Uh, or, sorry, Glover Teixeira and Thiago Santos were not able to go that night. But... You know, we saw them ready to go five rounds. Michelle Watterson had already been five rounds several times. Angelo Hill had been to five rounds a couple of times as well. Uh, but but we saw Michelle Watterson, you know, uh, pull ahead in that fight. There were a lot of different scorecards on that uh, from all three judges, but they did uh, unanimously give it to Angela Hill in that fight, or, or sorry, to to Michelle Watterson, but that was one, again, where we saw Angela Hill marching down Michelle Watterson, Watterson doing a good enough job in terms of landing counter strikes and landing strikes of her own, not to mention getting a, a, a takedown here and there and doing some good damage from on top, as well as accruing a solid amount of control time. And that's where I kind of lean on here with Ashley Yoder who, you know, back when they fought in 2017, she was a purple belt and she's just been working her butt off and now she's a black belt. So I feel like if she does get this fight back to the ground and back to the positions that gave Angela Hill some fits, she might be a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, might be a little bit more disciplined and be able to keep that top position and not really let it get away from her like she did in that fight against Angela Hill the first time around, Right. Uh, we saw her fight Miranda Granger last time around, and uh, I believe she dropped that first round, and then the second and third. We saw her truly start to come forward, uh, get the takedowns uh, relatively quickly as well too, and even enough to get a 10-8 on pretty much all the three judges' scorecards uh, in that third round against Miranda Granger. So uh, Yoder is improving on a fight-to-fight basis though. Now they both still have salty records: 12 and 9 for Hill, 8 and 6 for Ashley Yoder. Um, but I think that um, you know Yoder being slightly younger at 33 years old, th- 36 for Angela Hill, uh, I-, I think this fight should be much closer in terms of odds. Now I'm not talking about like like up or minus one fifty or something like that, or, or sorry, or like a minus one twenty, 120, minus one twenty five. But I still give Ashley yoda roughly like a forty ish percent chance of winning. You know, plus three hundred would indicate that she has a twenty five percent chance of winning, and I think that's a little bit too optimistic, especially if you're a, an Angela Hill backer. We know she fights close fights. Why are you willing to pay the chalk on a woman that uh, on a woman that fights close fights like this? And I don't care if they you know fought each other in the past, and Angela Hill beat her that time. It wasn't a blowout by any means, you know. I mean, Angela uh, Ashley Yoder still shows that she kind of has have the chops to go out there, take her opponents down, use her size and her strength strength against them. You know, she's gonna have a four inch height advantage here, as well as a five inch reach advantage. I think she she will be able to close the distance here, bully Angela Hill up against the cage, get her to the ground, not to mention showing off that work that she's been doing at Dan Henderson's training camp. You know what I mean? A, a lot of the work that you see uh, on her IG and and some of the footage that's being released is her working up against the cage, working up against the wall, uh, trying to get takedowns from there. But that's her game. Get that black belt going. And I'd be surprised if we see Angela Hill keep the distance consistently for 15 minutes. So yeah, you bet your ass I'd be willing to take a little bit of a sprinkle on Yoder at plus 300. Now, I will take Angela Hill uh, to win this fight, as I do think that uh, she should be able to keep the uh, keep this fight on the feet for the most part and really land some good damage from the outside. But I'm not counting out Ashley Yoder. Uh, you know, If this was a, uh, a 50-50 fight in terms of the, the odds, I'd probably lean uh, Angela Hill here in terms of making a bet on her um or actually not even a bet but at least um saying that 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 you know okay it this is a fight that angela hill should win but at the odds that are currently indicated again they're only going to get worse i only expect them to get worse as the fight week goes on as i believe that people are going to continue to parlay uh angela hill in this spot and i think that's going to be a very bad mistake i think that yoder is live here If she hits plus 300 on one of my books, I'm going to have to at least take a 0.5 unit stab. There's just too much value there to pass up. Given the improvements that we've seen from her, given the fact that we've still seen Angeliel getting taken down uh, in her fights, most of her fights, she's still getting taken down. um, That's a concern for me. And against a a solid black belt like Ashley Yoder, I think Angela Hill could be in some issues and maybe struggle to get back to her feet. But, you know, from what we've seen in her last several fights, she is able to get back to her feet. She's able to do some good work and kind of make up for that control time that she gave up, which is why I'll predict Angela Hill to win here. But from a betting perspective, I'd be on the Ashley Yoder side. And that's the side that I'll probably make a bet on. Again, only a half unit play here, especially at plus 300. You don't need to risk too much to make at least a, a good little, a bit of coin there um, and that's the way I'm going gonna, gonna to be looking to approach this fight so I'll take An- Angela Hill to win this fight via decision but don't be surprised if you see me with the Ashley Yoder ticket by the time this fight goes down Darren Stewart versus Eric Anders we got minus 175 on Darren Stewart and plus 155 on your boy, Eric Anders. Let's start off with your boy who's coming into this fight with a new trading camp. He's over there at Fight Ready. Uh, most people remember uh, that gym for, uh, I'm pretty sure the one they're the ones that broke away from uh, the, the goddamn DMMA lab. Um, you know, I believe Coach Eddie Cha, not to mention uh, Mr. Santino, I believe his name is. I, I can't remember. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Uh, something DeFranco. Something to Franco, I believe his name is. Uh, it's just slipping the the tip of my tongue right now. But uh, yeah, that, those are the people. Uh, Henry Suhudo mainly trains out of that gym as well too. But uh, that, that's the gym that he chose to go down and hopefully reinvigorate his career. You know, I mean, he's um, he's coming up on 34, 35 years of age at this point in time. Uh, he really needs to turn things around if he wants to make another run for it. You know, especially considering the run that he had coming into the UFC. You know, uh, knocks out Hafiyal uh, Natal goes to a decision against Marcus Perez and then for some reason gets a, a, a main event slot against Leoto Machida gets outstruck there and loses that fight um, via decision via split decision albeit and then since then has gone on a, a three and four run not to mention it could have been two and five uh, had he lost to Tim Williams uh, which it seemed pretty likely he was going to uh, but then he knocked him out with about 18 seconds left in that fight uh, since then lost three straight fights to Thiago Santos that was a super short notice fight for both guys going up a weight class as well too I believe he just couldn't answer the the bell for round four loses that fight uh, gets outstruck by Elias Theodoru or a, a volume I should say loses a split decision there and then loses a decision to Khalil Roundtree or thai at that point in time that's where we saw uh, clear really change his game and start to implement muay thai striking into his game and uh pretty much picked apart eric anders and just anders could not do anything about it then he gets two very favorable matchups afterwards right Vinicius mohair finishes him uh gerald muir very close fight could have gone either way squeaks that one out and then he loses the fight to christoph Jocko, being uh you know absolutely um, outworked in that fight, outvolumed in that fight we saw uh, Eric Anders accrue close to 6 minutes of control time in that fight but still wasn't able to get the judges nod there 0 for 5 on takedowns uh, but he was heavily outstruck by Christoph Jocko in that fight. D- uh, Darren Stewart, on the other hand, is coming off a loss to Kevin Holland, but he finished that fight very, very strong. It was a split decision loss too. And let's just see where Kevin Holland is at this point, right? After that fight, I believe uh, he beat uh, the Charlie Ontavero super short notice, and then goes out there and takes out Jacare Souza in very uh, emphatic fashion and now finds himself in a main event slot the uh, next week so darren stewart is right there that that snapped a three-fight winning streak for him where he uh beat uh, bevan lewis by decision uh went to a split decision against duran win probably deserved that fight regardless unanimously and then submitted mackie patolo and then ran into kevin holland we know what we're getting from darren stewart right a guy that's a great technical striker has some power on his shots and an ever-improving game all around uh is still getting taken down by his opponents that's the that's the 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 issue here you know it gives up eight takedowns to Edmund Shabazi and gives up six takedowns to Duran Wynn one takedown to Mackie Patolo um, uh, one takedown to Carl Roberson obviously Duran Wynn and Edmund Shabazi and great grapplers and great wrestlers uh, but uh, you know even in the Duran Wynn fight right gets taken down six times but continuously gets back to his feet and still wins that fight just off of damage alone Um, here it's more so like the technical fighter against the more raw Powerful athletic fighter in Eric Anders Eric Anders has just been getting away With his athleticism With his strength With his power for the majority of his career And he's just I think he's ever going to be forever going to be plagued by that he's never going to be the most technical fighter and I think that he's going to have to lean on his uh, grappling and his strength to pull out the victories in his fights Darren Stewart I think is just going to have him covered in those realms in terms of you know outstriking him on the feet making him feel the uh the the brunt of his shots but both guys are relatively low volume and that kind of concerns me in terms of which way to side here I do side with Darren Stewart as I believe he's the know better overall MMA fighter here but I could absolutely see an instance where where Eric Anders just pushes him up against the cage and uh, slows this fight down as much as possible and makes it even more difficult for Darren Stewart to get his shots off so I'm not trusting either guy here you know I mean in in that situation more often not you go with the dog or you pass but with that said I I just don't even feel comfortable with Eric Anders let's see what kind of changes they can truly make to him uh, or make for him down there at fight ready um, especially in a fight here against Darren Stewart which he should be able to win, um, but I, but I still favor Darren. You know, the, it's just the strength and the possible grapple slash clinch fucking that we could potentially see from Eric Anders here. Darren Struer is one of the few guys that I like to reference in terms of guys that are able to make cardio changes there are fights where we saw uh Darren Stewart's cardio absolutely failing like the Julian Marquez fight then we see him come out there and go a hard two or three rounds against other guys and you don't see that cardio issues plague him any further uh, I think his cardio has been improved and I think that's a part of his game that probably won't rear its ugly head again but uh, it comes down to him potentially getting out grappled here or just out clinched, I should say, pushed up against a cage, controlled. Uh, but I think the more that this fight is that distance, the more that will see him kind of pick apart um, uh, Eric Anders, kind of how Jotko was able to do the similar thing where, uh, you know, Jotko, the much better technical fighter, was able to keep the fight at range and get some good strikes off. But then on the Darren Stewart side, same thing. He should have that ability to... Uh, You know, pick him apart, land the bigger, heavier shots. The size difference is kind of what comes into play here. One inch height advantage for Eric Anders, as well as the one inch reach advantage. But even from like a strength standpoint, you can definitely see that Eric Anders is a stronger guy. So uh, I lean Stewart here. I'll take him to win by decision. But I want no part in betting this fight. I think it's a very difficult fight to call. Could go, could go either way. But I just don't see enough value on the dog here to take a stab on him either. So I'll go with Darren Stewart to win this fight via decision. Manal Kopp versus Matthias Nicolau. We got plus one fifteen on the returning Nicolau, and we got minus one thirty-five on Cop who's making his sophomore run uh, or at least his sophomore uh, entrance into the octagon after falling short against alishandra Pantoja uh, just about a month ago in his UFC debut. So let's start off on the cop side, who's you know heavily touted coming over from the Risen scene. Uh, you know, his most recent loss in Risen or his last loss in Risen was to a Luka Sasaki, where he just got completely outgrappled. And a lot of people thought if Alexandre Pantoja took that route, the would have been super easy for him to you know get his hand raised luckily for him and now cap you know still kept the fight on the feet and his just low output style really played into Pantoja going out there and out striking him outworking him and out voluming him on route to a decision victory I don't think there was much controversy regarding who should have won that fight as cop was just a little bit too lackadaisical in that cage you know dancing doing all this crazy stuff trying to like show off but you know Ended up losing the fight just because he just wasn't as focused on the fight. But that just that's just how he fights. You know he needs to get into a groove in the cage, and you know he needs to drop his opponents. And I think he's heavily reliant on knockdowns and knockouts to get his victories. And if he's not able to to do so, uh, he ends up on the losing end. Uh, And I think that's a very tough task here against Matthias Nicolau, who I think has him covered pretty much everywhere. You know, we have a little bit more volume from the Nicolau side. We have a high, tight guard in his his striking approach, especially after getting knocked out by Dustin Ortiz uh, two fights ago, which was his last fight in the UFC. Uh, But since then, you know, he's looking great. Obviously, maybe not the level of competition uh, that he'd be fighting in the UFC, but still going out there and getting uh, a a solid work in, uh, you know, getting the submission victory over Gabriel two fights ago, and then the decision victory over Efrain, where we saw, you know, great striking display from him. Uh, he's a huge, uh, great black belt in jiu-jitsu as well. Um, You know, training at a Novo uniao. The guy looks in phenomenal shape. Even his girlfriend, I, I'm not sure if they're, you know, engaged or married at this point in time, but his significant other is Luana Pinheiro, uh, who's actually going to be making her UFC debut in the next couple of events against Randa Marcos. So, you know, they're in this fight game 100%. The fact that he even got cut from the UFC after the Dustin Ortiz loss was just crazy, right? Even Brandon Moreno got let go at that time. And now look at Moreno. It went to a draw with the champion. About to have his rematch with the champion as well. And I think that uh, Nicolau is definitely one of those guys that can be up there in the top five of this division. Now, he was originally scheduled to go up against Tagir Ulenbekov here, and that's not a, a fight that I was able to tape or get to taping, uh, but I was heavily leaning Nikolaou in that fight, uh, and I, you know, lean him even more, more here against Cobb, who I believe is a much easier opponent for him. With Bekov, he had a lot more to worry about, you know, the, the wrestling and the, the the length and the strength and all that type of stuff that Tagir brings to the table, whereas Cobb, you know I mean? Is he going to submit Nikolaou? Probably not. Is he going to out-grapple Nikolaou? Probably not. Uh, I think the only spot here for Cop to win this fight is if he knocks him out you know again he's just so low volume that it just leaves so much on the table for his opponent to take and i think that nicolau is going to take every little thing from him not to mention that he's probably pissed off that he got cut from the ufc to begin with uh i think he's going to come out here and really try to put on a statement and put it on cop himself so outside of a flash knockout or something from cop i just don't see how he wins this fight Nicola, again great uh, combinations uh solid volume solid output moves forward um uh, really picks his spots Uh, That that Luis Smolka fight was just absolutely insane. The way he was just picking him apart, dropping him. I believe he recorded three knockdowns (laughs) in the first round, which is absolutely insane. Uh, And then the Dustin Ortiz fight was doing pretty well up until he got uh, kicked in the the chin. And that one was weird, right? He had his guard up, uh, but it was still like the foot that crept past the guard and still landed on the chin of uh, Nicolau, dropped him, and then he obviously got finished there. But, you know, definitely not deserving of being cut after that. So minus 200 favorite going into that fight. So clearly there's potential in the kid. And I still think that he has a ton of potential to show. Uh, you know, this is going to be his 19th pro MMA fight. Uh, you know, pretty much the same type of experience that Cop has had. But obviously he's been in the UFC, was on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. Um, I believe he lost. Um, I'm trying to recall the name that he lost to on the show. But, uh, you know, stuck around for quite a while after that. Um 28 years old, still young, still has a ton of time to improve and a great training camp around him and a great head coach in Andre Pettineris. I feel like they can come up with a great game plan here to go out there and dispose of Manel Cap. So I like uh, Nicolau to win this fight via decision, but I wouldn't count out you know, either a submission or a knockout of his own either. The guy has a lot of pop in his hands and he's very technical. Uh, he's very smart with his approach. And you can tell just off of his record alone, 15-2-1. The guy has a lot of experience and and he's a very high level opponent. Uh this is definitely not a step down at all for uh Manal Cap. You know what I mean? If anything, I think that Nicolau might be a step above Alessandra Pantoja. I I'd probably even uh, well if the if we had Nicolau and Pantoja go up against each other I'd probably favor Nicolau ever so slightly, but, uh, you know, I'd have to heavily consider the Pantoja side here, but uh, Nicolau, I think, has the type of uh, pace and cardio to go out there and put a pace on on one Pantoja and potentially bring out that gas tank issues of Pantoja later in the fight, but Kaap couldn't do that. Cap was, you know again low volume letting pantoja get his strikes off and fighting at his pace which allowed him to go 15 hard minutes which allowed him to you know get his hand raised via decision without even have to worry about his uh jiu-jitsu or using his jiu-jitsu black belt um so yeah i I like nicolau here it's tough for me to see where Cop wins this fight outside of knocking him out i think if you like Cop. Taking him inside the distance is probably the best approach here. But I still think that Nikolau goes out there and and has him covered everywhere. So I like Nikolau and I'll take him to win this fight via decision. And he's definitely one of my favorite dogs on this card too. I wouldn't be surprised if he closes this fight as a potential favorite or even if this line closes at a pick'em. But I'm going with Nikolau to win this fight via decision jonathan martinez versus davy grant we got a huge favorite here in jonathan martinez at minus 320 and plus 260 is return on davy grant here uh let's start off on the jonathan martinez side of things who we've seen in a huge evolution from since he first came into the ufc uh you know um coming into the 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 Ping Yuan Liu fight as a plus 180 dog and knocking him out with a beautiful knee up the middle. Uh, obviously, drops a split decision to, to Andre Ewell back at UFC 247. I believe that was February of 2020. Um, very close fight, but I, I thought that Jonathan Martinez handily won that. You know, he hurt Ewell numerous times to the body in that fight uh, and, uh, you know, had a lot of success. Um, but for some reason the, the judges ended up seeing for Andre Ewell I believe it was a split decision so two of the judges saw for Andre Ewell but Jonathan Martinez man this guy just continues to make improvements on a fight to fight basis the Frankie Signs fight we saw him methodically pick apart Signs and then take him out, take him out uh, later on in that fight and then the Thomas Almeida fight that's one fight where again plus 120 dog comes in against the Thomas Almeida who hadn't fought in several years um, and you know kind of made it look easy he won that fight pretty much all, every single round uh, methodically picked apart thomas almeida from distance and rocked him a couple times as well uh i love his his distance management the guy just you know he he's such a great striker uh very uh surgical uh with his approach you know fire, uh, every weapon in his body uh he uses very efficiently from his distance striking to his knees up the middle to even his teep uh which allows him to kind of really attack the body of his opponents and he hurt andre Iwa with it a couple times as well so we know that he definitely has some pop on his uh on his shots he doesn't have the crazy, the craziest amount of finishes on his record, but the guy is definitely a killer and has that killer instinct, and it's only getting better and better on a fight-to-fight basis. Obviously, Mark Montoya is doing a great job with him up there at Factory X, and I think that his, uh, you know, improvements will show on a, a continuously show. Actually, you know, he's 26 years old. He still has a ton of room to grow and a ton of time to flesh out as into a complete fighter. Um, and you know, David Grant being on the on the you know on the wrong side of 35. Um, you know, he's going to have a tough time kind of dealing with this young upstart and Jonathan Martinez, who just doesn't really let the foot off the gas. And I know he definitely learned a thing or two from that Andre Ewell fight, even though he deserved to win that fight. Um, you know, he, he had a lot of success there in terms of, um, continuously going out there and, and putting the pressure on one, uh, Davy Grant or on one, uh, Thomas Mehta, Frankie Signs, and even Andre Ewell himself. But I think that this fight will mainly be contested on the feet. My only little bit of a qualm here would potentially be if uh, Davy Grant uh, decides to grapple here. Uh, you know, he has a couple or most of his wins, I believe, have come via submission. Uh, and he can be strong in those uh, sequences. Like in his fight against Gregory Popov, he knew he was outstruck on the feet or outgunned on the feet. Yet was still able to go out there and kind of uh, make it a difficult fight for uh, for Popov by mixing in those takedowns. Uh, that's something that he chooses to, uh, you know, approach and pursue in most of his fights, especially when he feels like he's threatened on the feet. So I think that could be a, a side here that he goes with uh, against Martinez. However... I think the, the the aggressive style of Martinez will keep Davy Grant on the outside. Uh, you know, good clinch work from Martinez as well too will keep him on the outside, and I think that's where we'll see Martinez truly persevere and win this fight. I, I think there's a high upside of uh, Martinez possibly knocking out Davy Grant. Uh, you know, he he does have a ton of power and his stinging shots will start to add up, and I think that we'll see it to start to take an effect on Davy, and I think we'll see him uh, you know put him away. Uh, the the Davy Grant fight against Martin Day, you know that that's a fight where we see martin day not really adjust to whatever strikes are coming his way not to mention the combinations that were coming his way and uh you know the, it was the same combination that david grant was throwing for the majority of that fight which i believe was a, a left or right hook to the body and then a left or right hook up to up top it was just opposite hands um and you know it was the, ended up being that hook that put out martin day's lights um but yeah i, I like martinez here i think he takes this uh pretty much on all judges scorecards, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a late finish either. So I'll go with Martinez to win this fight via third round KO. Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. We got minus one fifty five on Dan Ige and plus one thirty five on Gavin Tucker. Let's start off on the Dan Ige side of things. Who's coming off his first ever main event slot, where he went up against Calvin Cater, Came in as a pretty hefty underdog at plus two twenty five and won one round off Calvin. The rest of the four were easy for Calvin, but uh, you know it shows the progression of Dan Ige, who came into the UFC and you know just. Didn't seem like he would burst into a guy that would eventually uh, main event a a fight night card. And that's exactly what he did last time around. But leading up to that, you know, four straight wins. Dan Henry, Kevin Aguilar, uh, Mursad Bektic and Edson Barboza. Big, big wins in his last two fights before going up against Calvin Cater. But, you know, the Barboza fight, super sketchy. Possibly could have lost that fight. The Mursad Bektic fight, a split decision. I truly believe he deserved the win in that fight. But again, another close fight against a guy that heavily gasses in the third round um what we see from Danny ige obviously really good black belt um decent striking but low volume and that's kind of where my qualm is with him here that uh, he, he waits a little bit too much but uh when he does uh crash forward and throw his strikes he is very effective with it and i do think he has enough power in his hands to cause gavin tucker some trouble here and that's always my issue with gavin tucker I need the Tucker. Uh, I need uh, for Tucker. I need the 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 Rickland and the Justin James fight to give us a little bit more room. We need to separate ourselves a little bit from more, more from that. Like see him go out there and get cracked by Dan Ige. Maybe not go down. Maybe at least show a good enough wherewithal to kind of keep his wits about him and then come back in and, and continue to win the round. That probably would sell me enough on Gavin Tucker and his chin issues that a lot of people believe that he has um i I believe tucker is the better fighter everywhere to be honest i think uh you know the only things that danny gay truly hasn't beat on are power and level of competition outside of that gavin tucker has been looking amazing his last couple fights not to mention the billy Quarantillo fight last time around where a lot of people were counting him out thinking that he'd go back and lose the same way that rick clenn beat him and he exercised his demons went out there and beat uh billy Quarantillo from round one to round three just Easily outstruck him, threw in a couple takedowns. Um, you know, good work from on top, but his variety of strikes and his ability to mix it up to the body truly helped him get him the victory that night. And I think that's what's going to help him here against Dan Ige. He's got to be quick on his feet. Um, in terms of size, he's a half inch. Uh, height disadvantage as well as a 5 inch reach disadvantage but I do think that he's going to go out there and showcase the better striking skill set it's all about worrying about the counters that are going to be coming back his way from Danny Gay as I did say earlier that he does uh, pack a ton of power in his punches but I do like Tucker like I think that uh, he can go out there and put on a solid performance all around performance you know uh, leg kicks to body kicks to you know mixing it up to the body into the head mixing a couple of takedowns as well that's something that we've been seeing a lot from him uh, over his last several fights where he's just you know clinching up with guys tripping them from inside trips outside trips body lock takedowns the guy is showing it all and he's really got to put it together now right he's 34 years old Danny Gay is 29 if uh, Tucker's going to get anything going in his career it's at this moment in time and he has a three-fight winning streak that he's currently riding really distancing himself from that Rick Len loss uh, and he's starting to get the higher step up in competition Took this fight on relatively short notice, but still got in a solid enough training camp to go in there and fight a guy like Dan Ige. Who I said again, coming off a main event spot. So if Dan, uh, if Gavin Tucker can go out there and spring a win here against uh, Dan Ige, he finds himself in that top ten and will be fighting, you know, the maybe the Calvin Caters and Edson Barbozas of the of the world. Uh, but he definitely needs this one. So if his chin can hold up, I feel like just by volume alone, he should be able to go out there and beat Dan Ige. I think that uh, we, we've seen over the last couple of fights that Gavin Tucker does have a good gas tank. His cardio does not just fall off a cliff after round two to, like it did in that Rick Glenn fight. And I think he's been proving it time and time again. Danny Gay is definitely the best fighter that he's fought out of the last three fighters. So I do believe that, uh, you know, we are going to have to see the best Gavin Tucker to truly see him get his hand raised uh, um, uh, this weekend. But I think that we'll see him get it done. I think he, uh, you know, he plays it safe. Throws some uh, volume out there, lands a couple takedowns, but just beats Dan Ige in a complete fashion. My only concern is if he gets tagged on the chin and gets put out, and his chin is uh, an issue, right? If that truly is the narrative that people are going with, and if it comes to fruition, I wouldn't be completely surprised. But at plus 135, I don't mind this fight. Like you're talking about, in my opinion, a narrow path to victory for Dan Ige, which is knock him out because I don't see him out him, I don't see him submitting him. I just see him knocking him out. And then uh, that's why I go with Gavin Tucker here, who has many more paths to victory, in my opinion. But it's just the durability that's a bit of a question. So I'm going Gavin Tucker. I'm going via decision. Uh, And I believe the decision line was like in the plus 190s, um, close to plus 200. I think that's a solid spot as well. Danny is a very tough out. Um, You know, Calvin Carey couldn't get him out of there in five rounds and was out striking him pretty much the entire time. I like Gavin Tucker. I think he wins this fight via decision. Misha Serkanov versus Ryan Spann. We got minus 135 on Misha Sirkinoff and plus 115 on Ryan Spann. Let's start off with Misha Surkinov, who we haven't seen sept- since September of 2019 when he had a beautiful Peruvian necktie finish over uh, Jimmy Cruz. He came into that fight as a minus 105, slight underdog there, uh, but comes through with a big submission. Uh, before that, you know, the, the last five fights that he's been on, it's a two-win-three in those fights, having another win over Patrick Cummings via submission where he was a minus 345 favorite. Um, but it, it, it's the losses to Volkan Uzdemir, Glover Teixeira, and Johnny Walker where, you know, you see his durability come into question, and that's always going to weigh on him. But, you know, the one thing you got to give those guys is they have great amount of power. Well, specifically the Volkan Uzdemir and Johnny Walker fights, those are the ones where you got knocked out by strikes, uh, and then the Glover Teixeira fight, you know, just gets out muscled and out jujitsu like glover to no matter how old that guy gets his jujitsu jitsu is always going to be on point uh you know his ability to ride his opponents and kind of transition uh, fluidly from uh, you know um from from half guard to side control to full mount to back take to uh full mount once again it's just amazing how he effortlessly he manages to flow against some of his opponents even against a high level black belt like misha serkinov In that fight against Glover, you know, um, Misha just could not get up off of the ground once Glover got him there. And especially when he got got that back mount, he just could not. You know, Glover must have been absolutely uh, weighing like a ton of bricks on the back of Misha Serkinov. And, you know, Serkinov could do nothing to get out of that position. Even to an extent where you hear the referee say, you know, you got to work, you got to do something. And you see his hand come out from, you know, defending from the shots are raining down from him from Glover. And he starts tapping. Luckily for him, the referee already stops it, but like that could have been a submission via uh, strikes, but we don't see that often. You know, it it was um, a knockout victory for Glover that night, but we saw him completely outclassed in the jiu-jitsu realm, but... We still see him uh, shine brightly in the jiu-jitsu realm against other guys, even if his fight against Nikita Krylov. You know, it looks really good in that fight, uh, lands a couple of takedowns, and then eventually sinks in the guillotine choke. Uh, and I think that's going to be his calling card moving forward. Uh, in the Jimmy Crute fight, I believe it was one of the uh, announcers that were saying that he just fell too much in love with his striking uh, once he got comfortable in the UFC, and it, you know, ended up costing him. Now, you know, he, he's going back to his bread and butter, getting those takedowns and trying to pull off submissions here. I feel like he has Ryan Spann absolutely blown out of the water when it comes to skill here. The only thing Ryan Span will have as an advantage here, well, a couple things is the height, two-inch height advantage, the reach, two-inch reach advantage, and then just his power. Like, the, But even that, I feel like is a little bit overblown at times. Is he going out there and absolutely one-punch knocking knocking out these guys? That's not really the case. You know what I mean? He, I believe he, he took Nogueira down and then just ground and bounded him uh, and got a big win uh, that way. Uh, the submission over Devin Clark, that was a weird one where we saw Devin just not really do much. And then the Sam Alvey fight, man. That one is a big red flag. When you're when you're struggling to to put away Sam Alvey and, and struggling to even win a decision against Sam Alvey, there's, there's a lot of question marks regarding Ryan Span's game. Uh, almost got rocked and dropped a couple times against Sam And then obviously gave up that third round Huge uh, Where Sam Alvey had a ton of success Landing some big bombs on him in that fight We saw the cardio of Ryan Spann really give up that night as well uh, and then the Johnny Walker fight, you know, it rocks Johnny a couple times, but it's just not able to pull him away. And then uh, I believe I even called this, I don't know if it was on my podcast or something that I tweeted out, but I, uh, but I said, I, I believe that Ryan Span will get knocked out trying to take down Johnny Walker. And that's exactly what happened. We saw Johnny Walker defend on the takedowns, even after getting rocked by one Ryan Span landed a beautifully placed elbow that just floored Ryan Span. Then he followed up with a couple ground and pound strikes and got Ryan Span out of there. Now, I think that, again, the calling card here for Misha Serkinov is going to be the takedowns. And I think the longer that he fucks around on the feet, the more that he's playing with fire. I think he gets his fight to the ground relatively easily. And I think that we'll see him, you know, work to an arm triangle choke. Or you know eventually give Ryan back, or Ryan Span will give up his back, and we see a you know a ground and pound or rear naked choke finish for Serkinov here. So the 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 submission prop will definitely be juicy. I think it's roughly around plus 155, which I think has a ton of value here on Serkinov, as I believe you know the majority of his fights finishing inside the distance, and I think that he has Ryan Span absolutely beat in the the jujitsu realm. I think it's going to be tough to see um, uh, Span defend any type of submission here coming from the Serkinov spot. So as soon as this fight hits the ground. It might even be a wrap Like it might be like The Nunes and Anderson thing This past weekend That as soon as the fight Hits the ground Wrap it up Cash that ticket Misha Sarkhanov Should have it in the bag Uh, So the other spot That I feel like It would be a lot safer Would be to play The under one and a half Um both guys, you know, have a ton of finishes on their record. Misha Serkinov especially uh, has been finished, has gotten finished. Same thing with Ryan Spann, has gotten finished, has been finished all in the first round. Uh, and I think it's sitting around that minus 145 range. I don't see this being like a a lazy slugging type of light heavyweight fight like we saw with Sam Alvey and Ryan Spann. Sam just has this ability to make fights, you know, drag on and make them much more difficult than they should be. Um, and then Misha Serkinov, on the other hand, you know, he's, he's more of a go, go, go guy. Let's get this done with. We're not getting paid by the minute here. We get a flat rate no matter what happens. Well, obviously, if you win, you get double your money. If you lose, you, you only get your show money. But again, it doesn't change no matter how long this fight goes. And that's what I think Misha Serkinov truly comes into these game, these fights with. And I think that's going to be what exactly happens here. I think he gets down Ryan span within the first two minutes of this fight. And pull off pulls off a submission. Might see another funky Peruvian necktie or something like that. But I think that once he finds that position, he's gonna he's gonna secure the position and then slowly start working towards um, a, a, a submission of some sort. I, I feel like it's gonna be an arm triangle choke. I feel like he's just gonna be able to pass the guard of Ryan Spann and eventually find uh, you know the, that that submission. Uh, and I, I and I really like him here. I, I think that uh, Span is a really good spot. Minus one thirty-five isn't too bad. But again, it's just the durability that I question. We're only two fights removed to see him get, like, flying knee uh, to shit by Johnny Walker. And that was quite some time ago. I believe that's closing in closer on the two-year mark um, compared to the, you know, the, the the more recent Jimmy Crude fight that he had. But, uh, yeah... You know, I believe he's full-time down in Las Vegas now at, at, at Extreme Couture. He was up here in Toronto at the Extreme Couture gym here, but he just didn't have the bodies. Like there was one guy that he, he would train with a lot is Todd Stout, who's another light heavyweight guy up here. But outside of Todd, there wasn't much other bodies for him to work with. So you got to believe he has to go down to Extreme Couture um, and, and work with other bodies, work with other guys that will give him some better looks and, and push him a little bit more too. So I like Serkinov. I do like the under one and a half a little bit more, but the spot that I'll probably be looking at is even uh, Serkinov round one submission, just like uh, Amanda Nunes this past weekend. So I'll go with Serkinov. I'll go round one submission, but the under one and a half is probably where you want your money on in this fight. Time for the main event. We got Leon Edwards against Bilal Mohammed. We got minus 260 on Leon Edwards and plus 220 on Remember the Name, Bilal Mohammed. If you guys remember, Leon Edwards was originally scheduled to fight Hamzat Chemaev. They were scheduled three different times, the last of which which was this week. And unfortunately, Hamzat... Uh, actually, you know what? The first one, I believe, was Leon Edwards. Uh, yeah, Edwards testing positive for COVID. And then uh, Chemaev recovering from covid uh, that was the, the January 20th card. And then, uh, obviously, we we know everything that's going on with Hamza right now. And, you know, he posted something about, like, coughing up blood and all that type of stuff. Potentially retiring as well, too. Um, But uh, here we are stuck with, well, not stuck. You know, it could be much worse than who Leon Edwards would be facing here. He has Bilal Muhammad, who's coming off a victory over... Uh, Diego Lima and that happened at UFC 258 in February so he has just about uh, a month worth well exactly a month's worth of time and not to mention a couple days less given that it was February that he fought in um he has a couple uh, uh just exactly a month uh to prepare for a high level guy in Leon Edwards who potentially is probably the best guy that he's fought since Jeff Neal and we know what happened when he fought Jeff Neal right so um it seems like anytime Bilal Mohammed takes a significant step up in advantage uh, or in competition, he just comes up a little bit short. Uh, his last couple of losses, Alan Joban was his uh, UFC debut back in July of 2016. He loses that five year decision. Beats Augusto uh, Monta- Montano uh, and then loses to Vicente Luque within a minute and a half. Uh, that was way back at UFC 205 in November of 2016. So in 2016, he goes uh, 1 in 2 inside the UFC. Then he goes on a bit of a run, beats Randy Brown, Jordan Meehan, Tim Means, and Shans from Country, and then runs into Jeff Neal in January of 2019. Um, you know, uh, unfortunate loss for him there. And then since then another four-fight winning streak. So if the trend continues, he's scheduled to lose this weekend against uh, Leon Edwards. Another four-fight winning streak. Curtis Millinder, Takashi Sato, Lyman Good, Diego Lima, and you could probably say that Diego Lima is probably the the third or fourth worst fighter that he's fought inside that stretch, um, or at least the, the 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 performance that we got from Diego Lima was either third, I'd say second or third, you know what I mean? I think Curtis Milner, uh, you know, even though he won the first round off of Bilal, the second two rounds uh, were not looking good at all for him. But Diego Lima had success with that calf kick. Unfortunately for him, his cardio just could not hold up to uh, get his hands going as well too because I feel like if he at least threw some hands as well behind those calf kicks, it would give Bilal Muhammad a lot more trouble and wouldn't have him so you know bouncy and jumpy and, and so pressury as well like he just didn't let diego lima breathe at all in that fight and he pretty much broke diego lima i'd say halfway through that second round that's where you see the punches really start to come up short for lima uh start to you know react a lot slower to the punches coming his way to um you know, I, I like what we saw from Bola Muhammad and how he's kind of been transforming his game, but he's always been that kind of guy that's always energetic, you know, bouncing around a lot, has solid cardio, is able to put the pressure on his opponents. But once he's fighting guys that are, you know, that have him a little bit outskilled or, you know, he he isn't as confident in as, you know, staying in their face like he was against Diego Lima or against Curtis Miller. Uh, then he's going to have trouble getting his game off and I feel like he's going to have that trouble here against Leon Edwards who is just you know super well-rounded the only real flaw you can say about him is the fact that we haven't seen him compete since July 2019 when he beat uh, RDA uh, via decision in a five-round fight Um, level of competition obviously way in Leon Edwards's uh, corner as well but Bilal brings some good intangibles to the game as well the guy's very good with his uh, pace cardio his heart is very much uh, all in in the game as well too just uh, you know, look at that third round in the Jeff Neal fight where he gets rocked, dropped a couple times yet still keeps on chugging forward still keeps moving forward, putting the pressure on Jeff Neal even in the Lyman Good fight you know, he's up two rounds going into that third round gets rocked and dropped by Lyman Good keeps chugging forward, keeps coming back and, uh, you know, still has a solid uh, third round even though he dropped it and but he still wins uh, the fight overall um, you know, Takashi Sato, Diego Lima you know, middle of the pack kind of guys but Leon Edwards, we're talking about a guy that was just on the cusp of a title shot you know but for the whole covid pandemic he's scheduled to fight tyron woodley in a in a main event slot uh in london covid shuts that down and he gets pushed back you know time and time and time again and if he actually had that fight with tyron woodley and he beat him. He probably would have got a title shot right after that, right? Uh, I think Gilbert Burns and Kobe Covington both beat Tyron Woodley during COVID. Gilbert Burns get a, gets a title shot right after that. And if Kobe Covington hadn't already fought Kamaru Usman, he probably would have got a tit- title shot after that as well. too. So Leon Edwards has put together a solid enough resume that, um, you know, he, he warrants a title shot even at this point in time. Um, I think Dana earlier today had said that if Leon beats Bilalt, he's 100% next for Kamaru Usman. And, you know, it's hard to. Truly go against that, you know, with Hamza Chmayev uh, up in the air right now. We don't really know what's going on with his future, and Kamar Usman has pretty much beat all other contenders. I'd be interested in a Kamar Usman and Kobe Covington rematch, but I would rather see maybe Covington against Burns, and then the winner of that pro- probably gets another shot. Maybe not so much on the Burns side, but probably Kobe. But getting back to this fight, this is a perfectly matched up fight for Leon, you know, he was really it's tough to say that he was jumping into the deep odds by taking the Hamza Chmaev fight because everything about Chmaev is just almost left up to potential right now he's looked great against guys that are not even half or even a quarter of the, the the level of skill of uh of one Leon Edwards so you know he Hamza was even coming into the Leon Edwards fight as a favorite but he was jumping right into the deep end of the pool against a very tough stylistic matchup but now here he has a guy that you know kind of works into his game you know um Blah Mohammed, a jack of all trades, if you want to call it that. Not the greatest at one thing. I'd say the greatest trait that he has is his pressure, is his cardio, and his ability to stay in his opponent's faces, but uh, also his durability. I believe the only time he's been finished inside the UFC was by one Vicente Luque but uh leon edwards hasn't pretty much beat everywhere you know i think he's a much better technical striker i think he has solid takedowns and good top control as well too and not to mention when leon edwards does get taken down uh, i feel like he's been on the ground against much tougher uh fighters that have solid top control solid uh jujitsu and he's been able to either reverse position uh to the point of potentially getting the opponents back or even just getting back to the feet and reducing the amount of time that his uh, opponent is in top control and and beating him in that aspect of the fight whereas Bilal you know doesn't really show the greatest top control other than against guys like Curtis Miller, who doesn't really know how to get back to his feet um you know the Takashi Sato the, his ability to get Bilal Muhammad down at the end of that second round feels like something that Leon Edwards would be able to take full advantage of you know I think Edwards has this very underrated ground game for some reason everybody just thinks he's just the striker but he has a solid all-around game his ability to take fighters down keep them down control them uh you know reverse positions even get in the back at some points um he's very very skilled that's for sure uh he's pretty much landed a takedown in every single one of his fights outside I believe it was the Kamaru Usman fight the Claudio Silva fight which he you know why would you want to take the fight to the ground against a black belt like that um and there's one more fight that I, that I'm just whiffing off the top of my head right now but he does seek that like he seeks a complete MMA game whenever he's going out there and fighting his opponents and I'm expecting the same thing here against Bilal Muhammad now the one uh you know outside of the inactivity from Leon Edwards there are instances where we start to see him slow down a little bit later in rounds and not to the point of you know getting knocked out or or getting controlled or getting like 10-8 or anything like that but I believe he dropped the fifth round against RDA drops the one of the last two rounds against Cowboy Cerrone um, but there are times where he picks up, you know, the third round uh, against guys like Vicente Luque or even other opponents in the past. Um, but but I still think that he has Bilal beat here. It's going to be tough that to see Bilal truly push the pace that, like he did against Diego Lima. I think he's uh, going to give a little bit more respect to Leon Edwards here and he won't be able to get that game off just as well. So I, I, I like Leon here maybe as, uh, via decision. Uh, Bilal has gone a f- hard five rounds before in Titan FC. So I don't think this five-round thing is going to be something that he's going to be shy of. I, I think he's up to the task. But my concerns are for him. You know, he's coming off a fight where he got his legs kicked off o- only a month ago. Uh, coming in on short notice and taking a huge step up in competition. And we've we've always seen that when he takes huge steps up in competition. Like going from and Country to Jeff Neal, He loses. Going from Augusto Montano to Vicente Luque, he falls short. So it's tough to find who his best win truly is. Maybe is Lyman good his best win to date in the UFC? Jordan Mean, given how uh, you know he was forty fights into his U- into his MMA career at that time, yeah, it's tough to see how uh, Bilal truly overcomes his test here. Unless Leon has dropped off a cliff in terms of his uh, you know his cardio or his just the ring rust is too much for him. I find it hard to believe that Bilal will be able to pull off the dub here. So I think Leon wins this clean all over uh, the five rounds, maybe drops a round or two, maybe later in this fight. But I think that Leon Edwards, given that everything that he's been through over the past year and a half, the guy's more than motivated to go in there and get this job done, whether it's a KO, whether it's a decision. But I don't think we see him mess up this opportunity, fall back down the ranks a little bit, not to mention that, that amount of time off that he's had. He's really got to get some work done, and he's got to do it right now right here right this weekend and I think we see him do just that so I like um, Leon Edwards here and I'll give the durability edge to uh, one Bilal Muhammad so I'll say that we see Leon Edwards go out there and outpoint point him for a five-round decision couple takedowns uh, you know good significant strikes on the feet uh, control up against the cage and also I do I do want to mention the physical uh, advantages that uh, Leon Edwards will have here three inch height advantage as well as um uh, as well as uh, I believe a two-inch reach advantage, and then not to mention just the the power, we we can definitely see that Leon Edwards will have the strength advantage here as well too. So uh big fan of blow it would be amazing for him to go out there and, and spring the upset here but i truly believe if if it wasn't leon edwards coming off a year and a half layoff this line would be closer to minus 400 so the fact that we're getting anything better than minus 300 is beyond me so i, I like leon here i think he's a very safe play this weekend and uh, you know don't be shocked if you see him as my potential lock of the night play considering that the, i feel like the rest of the card is a little bit lacking in spots that i feel that could you know you can drop a lock of the night play on so Potential lock on the night here with Leon Edwards, uh, and I believe he wins this fight via decision. And those are the breakdowns. I hope you guys enjoyed them. Uh, again, big shout out to the Patreon members. If you guys want to join the Patreon, link is in the description below. Five bucks a month, a ton of great perks. Shout out to CoolBet as well. If you guys sign up on CoolBet, use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two. Uh, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to 200 bucks. Um, uh yeah, 100% they'll match it up. So make sure you guys check out CoolBet, a great betting website, probably one of the best that I've been using up until this point. And again, big thank you to you guys, all the support, all the subscribers, all the likes, even the haters. Shout out to the haters as well, to you guys. Drive me to be even better and, uh, you know, be a better person. That's what it comes down to being at the end of the day. So shout out to everybody that's been, uh, you know, a a detractor, a supporter. No matter what you have been, you've created the MMA Lock of the Night brand. You've put some legitimacy behind the name. And now I'm able to do this shit full time. Can't fucking wait. All right. Good luck on your best this weekend. I'll see you guys again throughout the week. uh, And hopefully... Next week, I'll drop the podcast a lot earlier and hopefully aim for that Monday or Tuesday release. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to breaking down the upcoming fights for you guys. And we got some big fights on the horizon. All right, good luck on your best this weekend. Peace out.